Well, last week we saw Jesus, the greater David, in the wilderness with the wild animals, right? Defeating the serpent, the victory of the Son of Man over the tempter, a victory that was ultimately realized on the cross when Jesus crushed the head of the serpent. And in our passage this morning, the, the vision of that victory, the, the reality of how that victory is accomplished gets filled out. And it all begins with this watershed moment in the life and ministry of Jesus where it is made perfectly clear who he is. Jesus asks his disciples who others think he is, and it's some of the classics, right? John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets. But then he asks, who do you say that I am? And here it is. Peter answered him, you are the Christ. This is a moment. A a declaration that this is the one and only true Messiah. But but as we'll see, the disciples didn't fully comprehend what that meant. They they had a different understanding of of what that title meant and, and what the messianic vocation of Jesus would involve. It's hardly fair to blame them for that. Remember, the people of Israel had long awaited a Messiah to come and bring war against Rome, freeing them from oppression, a new David. Think back to last week and the anointing of David, how how the people had misguided expectations and, and didn't see it coming that the smallest of the bunch would be anointed king. But David did end up being a military, political conqueror, mighty in battle. So it's not surprising that the people would be looking to Jesus to do the same, to deliver them from Rome. This is what even the disciples are expecting. So there's a bit of shock and awe when Jesus goes on to explain to them what it meant for him to be the Messiah. He is mighty in battle and he would deliver them but not in the way they were expecting. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. So Jesus tells the disciples in in no uncertain terms what it means for him to be the Christ. It meant suffering. It meant rejection. It meant being killed and ultimately being raised again. But notice how Jesus speaks of all this. He says that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected and killed. This isn't a a future possibility. It must be this way. Why? Because it's the will of God. Because from before the foundation of the world, the Father's plan for redemption and salvation determined that the Son of Man would stand in the place of his people, that he would suffer, that he would be rejected, not not because of anything he did worthy of suffering or, or rejection, but for his sinful people. And the punishment for sin before Almighty God is death. So if Jesus was gonna save his people, it was necessary that the full payment for their sin was paid by him. This was the will of God. So, so the cross was always before Jesus. It, w- it was the reason he came. And, and so as Jesus is speaking plainly about all this, the reaction is just about what you'd imagine, especially from Peter. 
Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So a couple, couple of things are going on in the, in the heads and hearts of the disciples here. For one, they truly believe that this cannot possibly be the way of the Messiah. It's ridiculous to think that God's promised king would be defeated and publicly humiliated by a bunch of pagans. It was utterly, it was utter nonsense. But also, if it is true, they're not stupid. They know that if the Messiah were to be killed, that that meant a death sentence for his disciples as well. And that, that's the last thing in the world they wanted to hear. When you said, follow me, when you said you'll fish for men, surely you didn't mean death. So Peter acts accordingly and rebukes Jesus. In St. Luke's account of the wilderness temptation, he gives an interesting detail. He writes, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Some scholars believe that this is that opportune time. To, to use even Jesus' own disciple to present him with, with a powerful temptation to avoid the cross. So Jesus rebukes Peter. Now, Jesus isn't saying that Peter is the devil, but in this moment, he was an adversary to the mission of Christ. The Hebrew word for Satan is adversary. And this word rebuke is is the same word used for what Jesus did when when he condemned demons, when he cast out demons. So this is not a mild protest. Peter is saying, there's no way. This will never happen. But this must happen. This is the will of God. And Peter takes it upon himself to attempt to bend the will of God to his own desire. So Jesus has to put Peter in his place which is where? Behind him. Get behind me is Jesus' way of saying, fall back into your proper place. You follow me. Now, a a brief warning to try and not judge Peter too hard at this point. We're, We're always so hard on Peter, aren't we? But man, how we're so guilty of the very same thing. How often we dare get ahead of Jesus and try and tell him what to do, how to lead, what what would be best for us, how we would do things if we were in charge. Remember that Peter just declared Jesus as Messiah, right? We we can make the very same declaration uh, here, even in our worship with our, our songs and our prayers, declaring him to be Messiah and still get it wrong when it comes to what that actually means, especially for our lives. So Peter didn't say anything that we haven't thought or wanted to say. If we're honest, Jesus has a very different understanding of discipleship than what most of us probably want. It's all good when Jesus is casting out demons and healing the sick, feeding the crowds. We like that, Jesus. We can follow that, Jesus. But those things don't make up the fullness of Christ, and he will not conform to our image of who we think he is or we want him to be. 
He calls us to conform to him, the one who must suffer and be rejected and die and rise again. This is who Jesus is and it must be our reality to follow him, which means walking the same path he walked. It means bearing a cross and dying. Calling the crowds to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? So Jesus turns to the crowds and and calls for everyone to hear this reality. Jesus knew the hearts of his hearers. He, He knows our hearts that we all prefer comfort and ease, long life, happiness, and the kind of Messiah that will bring us those things. A Messiah who would die in the pain of seeming defeat is not attractive. It it certainly wasn't for those hearing Jesus say all this. So like Peter, we need to have our hearts rearranged. And Jesus teaches about the kind of Messiah he is and about our discipleship as followers of that Messiah. And he's very specific, right? He says, whoever would be his disciple must, what, deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. So let's take these in order because the ordering is important. We must start by denying ourselves. And I want to first point out what Jesus isn't saying. He isn't talking about denying the self's desires, uh, giving, giving things up which can be a good thing. Many of us are denying our desires even now during Lent. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's also not talking about um, ignoring ourselves because we're just bad, so we just need to reject and ignore ourselves. That's also not what he's talking about. This isn't a statement about whether the self is bad, but about who we are most closely associated with. Self-denial is an intentional moving away from relationship with the self as primary. If you remember, John the Baptist said it best, he must increase and I must decrease. There's that must again. He must increase, I must decrease. We deny ourselves when our primary allegiance is to Christ when we surrender ourselves to him and are determined to obey his will. Because the the self is the part of us vying for the throne, right? Uh, Claiming authority over the whole being. But, But Christ and self cannot reign together. And only Christ can dethrone the self. Jesus is not calling us to a Burger King Christianity You cannot have it your way and call him Messiah. Sorry, Drew's gotten in a couple zingers lately, so I had to to shoot my shot. I was actually looking that up to see if it was still Burger King's slogan, and they've recently changed it to, you rule. Um, Again, no, no, you do not. (laughs) No, Jesus rules. May he be enthroned over your whole being as he is enthroned in heaven. 
So to deny ourselves is to live into the reality that our life is not our own, it belongs to God. And so we follow the example of Jesus to give in a world that takes, to to love in the midst of so much hatred, to bring healing and life to a world that injures and kills. With every choice, Jesus denied himself in obedience to his heavenly father. We're called to do the same. So then Jesus calls his followers to take up their cross and follow him. Now, we're all aware of how this becomes a slogan, right? Applied to anything from mild difficulty, you know, got, got to make the hour-long drive home in traffic, just bearing my cross, to, uh, to being used in jest, uh, hopefully, maybe. Uh, the in-laws are coming in this town, or coming in this week, just, just bearing my cross. Uh, to describing truly difficult things, like temptations, or illness, or broken relationships, But even in those things, big or small, we need to understand what Jesus is requiring here. See, crucifixion was reserved specifically for those who had rebelled against authority. Taking up one's cross literally meant that the condemned person was forced to carry the crossbeam to his own execution site. To, to show that even though he had rebelled against authority, he was now so completely conquered that his last act in life would be to carry the instrument of his death to the place where he would die. It was a display of complete and utter submission. The man carrying a cross knew he could not save himself. So Jesus' call to take up one's cross it does mean faithfully enduring difficulty, yes, but, but it also means more than that. It is a call to be as submitted to Christ as the condemned criminal was to death. With, with both the call to deny ourselves and to take up our cross, Jesus is claiming authority. To, to follow Christ means recognizing we have rebelled against his authority and disowning ourselves and giving him our allegiance down to the very depths of our being. This isn't just something we do when we first become Christians. This isn't just what we do during Lent once a year or when we're feeling especially penitent. We aren't called to occasionally take up a cross. We are to be marked by the cross as a sign of humility and submission to Christ in in all of life, all the time. It's an entire way of life. Who rules your heart and intentions when it comes to your work or school, your money, the way you parent your children? Is Christ enthroned in all? all of who you are. I lightly gave examples of things we might consider as crosses to bear, but there can be reality to them. You may have a terrible commute in traffic. I know some of you do. You may have difficult in-laws. You may be in a tough season with your children. All, All of these seemingly mundane details to our lives are opportunities 
for us to die to ourselves and, and yield to the authority of Christ. He is king over your relationships, over your children, even over your time sitting in traffic. The question is, are we surrendering our will to his in all things? It doesn't feel right to surrender, especially on the way that leads to death. But we can't lose sight of of the whole of it. Jesus must not only suffer and die, but what? Rise again. And if we've been united with him in death, the Bible says, we will certainly be united with him in resurrection. Resurrection is what makes the cross the victory of Christ. And, And he's gone before us. He has done it and is forever victorious. That's why we follow him. And it's why we can follow him with confidence. Especially when it feels hard and feels like this can't be right. This can't be the way. The good news is that we're not asked to always feel good about it or even understand it all. Jesus didn't say, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me when you feel like it. When you can comprehend exactly what that means. When you're sure that it'll just be a little bit hard, but you won't actually die. No, we're, we're called to steady, faithful, daily obedience. And it's this, it's this long obedience in the same direction that puts us in lockstep with Christ. And it makes it clear that, as Jesus says, only a fool would trade the whole world for his soul. Jesus asks, what can a man give in return for his soul? We're being asked to consider the cost. Consider the cost of following Jesus. And the reality is, it'll cost us our lives. All of who we are. It is an important thing to consider what discipleship actually means. Because make no mistake, there there is no middle ground in following Christ. It's all or nothing. This is not a hobby. There are statistics proving that nominal, whitewashed, lukewarm Christianity is destructive to ourselves and to those around us. Christ calls us to exclusive allegiance and complete submission to him. Consider the cost. There may not be a physical death for the sake of Christ, Jesus wasn't saying that everyone who follows him would literally die for him. We might. We should be prepared for that. But the very act of denying ourselves and taking up our cross is death. Death to the old man, as St. Paul puts it. And, And once we know the cost, then we realize it's not about the costliness of following Jesus. It's about our willingness to follow him no matter the cost. Because in exchange for your life, 
you receive the priceless gift of Jesus himself. To have him own you is worth everything. I mentioned that this doesn't always feel right. It goes against our human instinct. One does not naturally give up his life in order to save his life. But as we've seen, the way of Christ is the way of the cross. The way down is the way up. In Christ, death does actually lead to life. So may we not be so slow to believe that the cross of anguish, the cross of humility, the cross of obedience is a tree of life. We will know the goodness of God and the truth and beauty of our Savior Jesus as we seek to follow him in his way, according to his will. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, may you grant us the humility to learn from your Son's example that the way down is the way up, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that to have nothing is to possess all, that to bear the cross is to wear the crown. Lord, only by your Holy Spirit can we live that life. Only by your Spirit are we made strong in our weakness. Help us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.